Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, Foundations Church. How you doing today? We good? Man, I am so excited to be here. My name is Michael Ballard. I'm the executive director here at Foundations Church. And my wife and I have been here for about eight and a half years. We absolutely love the church, love the people, love what God is doing in this place. We are in our second week of our relationship series. Now, why are we doing a relationship series? One of the reasons is every one of us in this room, God has created us for community. He's created us for relationships. That when God created Adam, what he said, it's not good for man to be alone, so he created someone to come alongside him and help him. When we look at the community of believers, that we are part of the body of Christ, that it's made up of many members. And even in the church structure itself that Paul outlines in the New Testament, the church wasn't meant to be led by one individual. That's how cult starts. But there are deacons, there's overseers, there's elders to help come alongside and encourage, correct, discipline, support, right? And this is what we are created for is community. Relationships are wonderful. They're awesome. They're great. But they can be difficult. There can be hardships. We look at the story of David, the life of David, after he slept with another man's wife, had that man killed. And this isn't something that took place over a week. This is months and months and months. And eventually the prophet Nathan, who had a relationship with David, comes to him out of love and care for David, goes before the king, this man who has the ability and the authority to have him executed if he so desires, and calls out David's sin. And there's conflict, there's tension there. But ultimately, it was for David's benefit to bring him back to restoration, to bring him back um, to the point where he was on the right track with God. Now, any long-term relationship is going to have conflict. There's going to be difficulties. And so what do we do when that happens? Do we tuck tail and run? Do we cut ties? No. We'd never have any meaningful relationship if that happened. Because in a relationship, you've got two individuals with two different sets of habits, two personalities, two, two preferences, two, two tics, two weirdness. You've got two individuals coming together that are both sinful individuals. And eventually, that sin is going to come up and there is going to be problems that arise. I'm not trying to paint the picture of doom and gloom and weeping of gnashing of teeth or anything like that. But how do we reconcile these two truths where we're created for community but there's also gonna be conflicts. And so today we're gonna to talk about how do we, how do we engage in, in this, this discussion, this, this disagreement in a way that ultimately honors God and glorifies him. Not in a way that one person comes out a winner, but in a way that honors God and it's productive. Now what would be easy today is to give you three easy steps on how to fight fair. The truth is I could probably Google some really good answers better than I could come up with. And I could probably find some scriptures that support those, 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 uh, those ways to fight fair. But what this does, it promotes a behavior modification and not a spiritual transformation that we need. And this is the problem that a lot of us face is what we want, we want to hear how we can change. If you do this, if you do that, then your marriage will be successful. Now, I'll tell you that if it relies on what I can do, I'm going to fail every single time. 
I believe one of the churches, one of the reasons why churches grow large is because it's a lot easier to preach, hey, if you just tweak a couple things here or a couple things there, you'll be great. It's a lot more difficult to hear self-denial and self-sacrifice and dying to yourself and picking up your cross and following after Jesus. Did you know that being in relationship, that still applies, that dying to yourself still applies? That it's not, it's not three easy steps that we need, but it's God transforming our hearts. This morning, we're gonna talk about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in authority of the Spirit, walking in obedience to the Spirit. And before we do, I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page here. Because the, the Holy Spirit is, is quite possibly one of the most misunderstood and, and, and abused members of the Trinity. And so before we start, let me say this, the Holy Spirit's not a vibe. Holy Spirit's not juju or luck or karma or some mystical energy of the universe. It's not magic. That the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. One of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin and conform us to the image of Christ. That's one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit. And so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at more from the angle of the person that's been offended, not the one that has committed the offense. Because we're in church today. Church is a body of believers. And so I'm running with the assumption, which might be a poor assumption, that if you're in here today, that you are a follower of Christ. That could be a really bad assumption, but I hope it's here. If, if you're not a follower of Christ, I'm glad you're here and I hope God convicts you and change your heart by the end of this message. But the reason I'm doing that is because if you are a follower of Christ and you have committed offense against somebody, the Holy Spirit should convict you and, and, and challenge you and bring you to repentance. But how does the person on the other side of the aisle, the one who's been offended, how do we respond? How do we respond in a way that honors God? And so today we're gonna to be in Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 24. We'll have the notes on the screen behind me. Uh, we'll have them in our app as well. Yes, we have an app, download it. It's an awesome resource, but let's turn to Galatians chapter five as our guide, our standard for how we should live. Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and Desires. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your word. God, thanking you for the spirit that you have imparted in us to navigate every, hour, every area of our life. God, I pray that as we, we are here today, you would open up our ears to hear and open up our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Here in Galatians, you've got this juxtaposition of two groups of people. You've got one controlled by the flesh, one unrepentant sinner, who's doing their own thing, and you've got this person that is controlled by the Spirit. One who Paul says has crucified their sinful, selfish desires. And, and the Holy Spirit, like I said, works in every area of our life. And today we're gonna talk about it from the area of uh, conflict resolution. Because for a lot of us, our, our marriage looks a lot like verse 20 in Galatians chapter five, that it's full 
of, of enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Some of you that describes your home, it's a war zone. Describes your relationship. People lobbing bombs at each other, just trying to cut each other down. Man, if you're living in obedience to God, that shouldn't be evident in your life. That shouldn't be evident in your relationship, that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you and to change you. Don't look at your spouse and like nudge him because the Holy Spirit needs to change you as well. Both parties need to be conformed to the image of Christ in this. So let's look at Galatians chapter five. Really, we're gonna be looking at verse 22. We could be, uh, do a whole series over the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm gonna look at verse 22 and just a few of those in verse 22. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. How many of you guys want peace in your relationships? You want peace in your home? Yeah, absolutely. Can I tell you, before you have the kind of peace that Paul is talking about, peace first flows vertically, and then it flows internally and extends horizontally. What I mean by that is a lot of us have this, this connotation that before we committed our life to Christ, before we walked in obedience to Christ, that, we were, that, that we're all God's children. We're all, everybody is God's child. No, 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 no. Only those who have expressed faith in Christ are children of God. Ephesians chapter two tells us that before we express obedience or before we express faith in Christ, that we are children of wrath. Romans chapter eight and Colossians one tells us that we are hostile to the things of God. Romans chapter five and Philippians three tells us that we're enemies of the cross of Christ. But, but when you express faith in Christ, when you believe in Jesus and submit your life to him, you are now adopted as a child of God. And that hostility that once we once, uh, were experiencing, we are now at peace with God. Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we can have the peace that we want in our relationships, we first have to be at peace with God. It's not the other way around. And this is why I was saying that behavior modification doesn't fix it because it doesn't address our sinful state and our need for, a relation, for reconciliation with God. That if you're in this room and there's conflict, you have to make sure that you and God are good. I don't know if you know this or not, but marriage, marriage is an earthly picture of Christ and his church. That, that, that we see that the bride of Christ, the church, uh, is, is this, this earthly picture that God has ordained and God has established from the beginning of time. I'm gonna read a passage that women don't like to uh, acknowledge and men like to abuse, found in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. It says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm a strong, independent woman. I don't need no man tell me what to do, right? You're actively disobeying the word of God. That's right, you tell her, bro, shut up. I'm coming to you guys. <laughs> Men, the call for us is potentially even more challenging. We don't like to acknowledge this part. What's it say? Men, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? 
He gave himself up for the church. He died for us. Wives, if you can't submit to a man who's willing to love you the way that Christ loved the church, there'll never be peace. Men, if you aren't willing to lay your life down for your wife, to set aside your own desires, to put her needs before your own, why would she submit to you in the first place and there'll never be peace in your relationship? That our marriages are meant to reflect Christ and his church. Is there division? Is there dissension? Is there strife between Christ and his bride? No, absolutely not. John chapter 17, verse eight through 11, Jesus is praying a specific prayer for a specific group of people. He's not praying for everyone in general. He is praying for believers right here. And I want you to listen to what he says. John chapter 17, verses eight and 11. For I've given them the words you gave me and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, who? Those that believe. I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me for they are yours and all mine are yours and all yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. That there is no disunity in the Godhead. There is no disunity between God and Christ and his church. And when we enter into relationships, when we enter into marriage, it's not two people traveling the same path. No, no, Matthew chapter 19, verses five and six, Jesus says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one. They are no longer two flesh, but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. How can a healthy body have division and disunity? How can a healthy body not experience peace? Romans 12, 18, Paul writes, if, if, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with all. I hate to break it to you, but when Paul's writing Romans, he's writing to Roman Christians, the churches in Rome. He's not writing to just the world in general, lost people, he's writing to believers. So far as it depends on you. So who's that you? It's us, it's believers. Okay, if it depends on us, then what should be flowing through us? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, and peace. So as much as it depends on me, peace shouldn't be a problem. Now there's people separated from God that want nothing to do with you and never wanna have peace with you. And you do what you can do, but you can't control what they do. That's just gonna happen. But when two believers are joined together in unity, so much as it depends on you, two believers coming together, operating in the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, and peace, there should be peace present in their life. Now, I know followers, or people who don't follow Christ who have peace in their marriage. And sometimes it's because they have enough money and space and time to keep a lot of the pressure away. And those, those, those problems that would come, those butting of heads that would come because of a lack of finances don't happen. I know people who aren't following Christ who have peace in their marriage because they're aligned in their goals. Hey, we want our kids to do well. We want our kids to be set up. We wanna have a great retirement. So they're walking parallel, not two becoming one, but just two walking parallel. They'd be able to pursue their own interest and not being an inconvenience to one another. A measure of, uh, of the marriage is not necessarily the level of peace, but it's more so the source of the peace. 
Where is that peace originating from? Jesus in, his high, uh, in the last uh, supper, in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Listen to this, not as the world gives. He's acknowledging that people can have peace that don't believe. But he's saying this peace is different. This peace is different. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What Christ is talking about, he's talking about a peace that comes from a union with God that's unlike anything this world has to offer. A peace that passes understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and our minds as we, what, as we walk in Christ Jesus. As we operate in the fruit of the Spirit. That true peace can only come through reconciliation with God, through the work of Christ on the cross. Go from being enemies of God to being aligned, to being adopted as children. If you want peace with your family, if you want peace with your spouse, you first have to have peace vertically with God and then it extends horizontally and internally to those around you. Man, peace sounds great, but you know what we really need first? Is we need the source of peace flowing into our life. Verse 22 goes on to say, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. Let me tell you, be patient. You're not as perfect as you think you are. This Greek word of, of patience is, is macruthomia. It's, it's this forbearance, this long suffering, this ability um, to be taken advantage of, to be hurt, this ability um, to be wronged again and again and again and not become angry. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, love is what? Patient. And the weird thing about these two words, love and patient, is they're both virtues, as Paul is writing this, that are only tied to believers. This agape love, this self-sacrificial love, has this ability to suffer long and not lash out. Now, what Paul is doing in the, in the, in the, uh, the ancient world is that, that Aristotle taught that the highest good is to lash back out for the smallest inconvenience, the smallest insult, the smallest hardship, that that was the best thing you could do. And Paul is saying, no, 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 we are no longer like the world that we don't lash out, but we are patient. When we read this word in the New Testament, this word patient often refers not to events or circumstances, but also often refers, refers to individuals, that we're patient with one another. That this agape love that only flows from God produces this macruthomia, this patience that only flows from God. This is what we need to understand. It's not about changing a few things in your life. It's about a spiritual transformation that's brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us that this is possible in Galatians chapter five. Why? Because we've crucified our sinful desires. Galatians chapter two, he says, it's no longer me, but Christ living in me that's able to make these things a reality. I wanna look at a story in Acts chapter seven. Stephen, the first martyr in the church, Acts chapter seven, verses 57 through 60. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to, the knee, to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, Stephen's last words weren't God's gonna get you. He wasn't cursing at him. He wasn't making fun of him. Oh, you call that a throw, sissy, right? He wasn't doing any of that. He said, God, forgive them. This, this patience to the extreme, 
not lashing out at those who are actively killing him. Where does this patience come from? I tell you, it's in the very nature of God to be patient. We look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. That it's God's patience that has given humanity time and time and time and time again to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That Jesus hanging on the cross, being rejected by the ones that were in desperate need of a savior, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. From the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, God has been continually sinned against, continually rejected, insulted, and for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, instead of unleashing wrath upon humanity, God has wrath. Yep, you better believe he does, but he's holding it back, being patient. Wanting us to come back to a knowledge of him and this patience that we're so stingy with, we often expect others to freely extend. We say, man, how can I have this kind of patience? You can't. But the power of God working in you can. We see Stephen saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold the sin against them. But we aren't even patient when we're offended in the slightest. When's the last time someone tried to actively kill you? Man, maybe instead of trying to lash out, we say, God, give me patience. Rely on the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. Man, we've been, we have sinned against, we have been forgiven of infinitely more than we will ever be asked to forgive. Do you guys catch this? This cosmic treason, if you will, that we've committed against God. It's infinitely more than we will ever be asked to forgive maybe operating in the fruit of the spirit, the power of God working inside of us is the way we should live our lives and not try to just find three easy steps on how to fight fair, but rely on God to change us from the inside out. And I guess when those don't work, um, we can just resort to killing one another uh, with kindness. That's a weird break from my notes right there. Um, <laughs> kill one another with kindness. You're like, yes, he said it, let's go. Calm down, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. I wanna read Romans chapter two, verses one through five. Real quick. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, You who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape judgment of God. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. When we exhibit kindness, again, we're exhibiting a characteristic of God. We look at Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Michael, I haven't cheated on my spouse. Okay. But are you perfect? Have you ever wronged them? Have you ever sinned against them? Yeah, you have. 
And this is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter two. You who wanna pass judgments, you who want, who want like justice. No, 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 I want this right to be wronged. God, I need you to, to do something in their life so they get the picture of not to do that again. Paul's saying, do you presume on the riches of his kindness? It literally translates, do, not think, do you think so little of the infinite wealth of God's kindness, his tolerance and patience, not realizing that his kindness, his grace, his goodness towards you guides you to change course, that his kindness is what causes you to repent and turn around. Maybe operating in the fruit of the spirit, maybe operating in kindness has that same effect on those who have wronged you, that it causes them to see the error of their ways and ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness, and that this godly sorrow turns them back to Christ. Man, I've got a weird feeling that that's uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division. Something tells me that's not going to cause a true repentance. They might be guilty for what they did, but is that going to change their heart or is you operating in kindness? Just as God's kindness led us to repentance, is us operating in kindness going to show someone the goodness of God flowing through us and have them change course. Man, that's why walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is what we need. That's why self-denial and self-sacrifice is what we need. Not just, hey, use some better words and have a better attitude. No, 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 no. We have to understand where that change comes because as we walk in the power of the Spirit, man, our lives are conformed to the image of Christ and our behavior follows suit. And so often we wanna put it the other way around because we don't really want to die to ourselves. If you don't really wanna die to yourselves, you're never gonna have true peace. You're never gonna be able to operate in patience. You're never gonna be able to operate in kindness. Why? Because you are trying to do it on your own and not rely on God working through you. Disagreements are gonna happen. You're gonna offend one another. It's not a matter of if, but when. Man, we're fallen sinful people trying to grow closer and closer to Christ each and every day. Next time someone wrongs you and you want to lash out, you want to find fault, think of Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Next time you're offended and you, you're waiting for your spouse to come home and you've got, you've got a list, don't act like you don't do it, and you're about to wreck their world, right? You're about to cut them down to size. Like you've, you've got these sound arguments. Like if you had debate in high school, your debate teacher would be proud because you have backed up all of your arguments with examples and your laundry list. As soon as they walk in the door, you're like, here we go. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are we trying to operate in our own terms or are we trying to operate in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit? Man, are these fruit evident in your life? If I spend enough time around you, I could probably tell. Jesus says that a good tree bears good fruit. You can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. So if I spend enough time around you, I could probably tell where you are. Are you, are you just, are you really like, are you just talking the talk or are you actually walking the walk? So instead of me having to spend time with, you know, a thousand people today, maybe you judge for yourself by answering some of these questions. Do you spend time in prayer? Do you spend time reading the word of God? Do you enjoy worshiping together corporately? 
Do you have a growing disdain for the sin in your life? Do you love the things that God loves? Do you hate the things that God hates? Is it more Christ in you or is it more of you and you're just kind of picking up Christ on Sunday morning? I can't answer that. I'll tell you what, if you answer no to some of those, Holy Spirit's probably not at work in your life. And I'd be really afraid to say that you're walking in the power of the Spirit when the evidence isn't there. Man, and I pray that God does what God, only God does and he draws you to himself. That he convicts you. That you have a change of heart. That you repent and you live in submission to Christ and you see the fruit of the Spirit operate in this unexplained peace this unexplained patience, this unexplained kindness starts to bubble up and show itself in your life. And these relationships that were once filled with enmity, strife, fits of anger, jealousy, division, dissension, start to produce love and honor God in all that they do. It's not behavior modification that you need. Michael, tell my husband to stop doing A, B, and C. No, no. How about you both start walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and see what God does in you and through you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. God, thanking you for your word. God, thanking you for your spirit that changes us. God, that you have not left it to us just to figure it out, God, but you have imparted us with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. God, there's gonna be division. There's gonna be conflict. There's gonna be difficulties. But I pray that we would operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that we would be convicted. God, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. God, so our marriages, our relationships glorify you and honor you in all that we do. God, for those marriages in here that are struggling, that are hurting, where there is division, God, I pray that your peace that passes understanding would flow in those relationships. God, that there would be patience extended to one another as we realize that we're both fallen creatures. God, and you have been infinitely patient with us. God, and I pray that we're able to be kind in those tough situations to one another. God, just that your kindness led us to repentance. God, that our kindness towards one another would lead them back to a godly sorrow that produces true repentance. With every head bowed and every eye closed, man, I said earlier, there's some of, might be some of you in here. You don't know Christ. You're not submitted to him and you're wanting peace in your relationship, but you haven't experienced peace with God in the first place. Maybe God's been drawing you back to himself. You're like, Michael, I, I need a change. You need a heart change. You need God to do what only he can do is to break your heart, to conform you to the image of Christ. And if that's you, I'm gonna count to three. Just simply raise your hand. One, two, three. Is anyone here say, yeah, that's me. Say, Michael, I've, I've been doing it my own way. And God's drawing me back to him today. Is there anyone in here? Maybe you're watching online. Just let us know. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. God, and thankfully you see our hearts. God, that we hide nothing from you. No matter how slick we think we are, God, nothing escapes your sight. 
God, and so for those of us that are in here that are just looking for a quick fix, that don't really want to die to ourselves, God, I pray that you would draw us to you, God, that you would, would keep us and change us and transform us into your image, God, that you would impart us with the power of the Holy Spirit, God, to live in a way that honors you in all that we do. God, work in us. God, change us. Forgive us. God, let us pick up our cross daily and follow after you. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. Thank you.